3: Hey guys, it's Kayla. Candace is unable to join us today, but we are all still so directionally challenged. Before we begin, in this episode, we do discuss sexual abuse and sexual trauma. So please take care while listening. Today we are sitting down with a remarkable woman who is so successful in so many ways. Yemi Penn is an author, documentary producer, a speaker, an engineer, and an all-around fearless thought leader on creating her own memo. She is a tireless advocate for self-empowerment and guiding others to create their own memo. She has a documentary out called Did I Choose My Trauma? which I watched over the weekend. And while watching her documentary, which she so bravely discusses her childhood trauma of being sexually abused by her uncle. I felt so honored that she was willing to share this publicly, both in the documentary, and then also discuss this with me and our listeners on our podcast. She describes her uncle sometimes sleeping on the couch of their family home and how he would call her into The living room to talk to her on the couch and then at some point begin to undress her while still talking to her and how she felt frozen and she didn't know exactly what to do and in turn didn't do anything about it. She also bravely shares how this experience was repeated time and again and at one point in her adult life she had heard through several other family members that he was staying with another at another family's house and watching their children Who, one of whom was a young girl about the age she was when this happened to her. And she had an epiphany. She had this moment of saying, Now, now is the time that you start to talk. Now is the moment. And so here we are. We find Yemi years and years later, the epitome of success. And most importantly, continuing the conversation of trauma and abuse and helping others throughout their own process of development and on their journey to find self-love. So Yemi Penn has dedicated herself to raising awareness on not only sexual abuse and survival, but on worldly issues and daring humanity to act on creating a just world. With qualifications ranging from project management to neuro-linguistic programming and methods taught to her personally by Jack Canfield and Tony Robbins, Yemi helps transmute pain to power. She also has an amazing book called did you get the memo because I fucking didn't and in did you get the memo she guides the reader to question belief systems that blur the lines and create bias not just in their own lives but in their careers. Yemi introduces and challenges the notion on how life is to be lived and this sacred memo that most of us have bought into without questioning. We will talk to her about that in depth and she is so lovely and has such an Such a magnetic energy about her. She also has a podcast. You guys, did you get the memo podcast? In which she tells unexpected stories of women and men living life on their terms, deviating from the memo called life, challenging the status quo, and being amazing at it. And I'm sure instead of hearing me continue to talk, you'd like to really hear her and her marvelous story. So please, without further ado, here is my lovely conversation with Yemi
2: Penn.
3: And we are here with Yemi Penn. Yemi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. we. I've been honored to have this conversation. Really excited to have you on. I just want to jump right in. You know, so many of our conversations on this podcast begin with childhood and we talk about our childhood a lot because we know how much our childhood shapes who we become. And I know that your story is not a simple one, but it ultimately was the most powerful catalyst in your life to change your direction that you were on. And if you feel comfortable, would you mind starting with that story for our listeners so that then we can move on to this incredible
2: woman that you've become? Thank you so much for the the platform to share. It's funny, I think I I get more courageous every time I tell the story and I never quite know how it's going to land. But I start off by saying, I believe everyone has a story. Some of us remember, some of us suppress it, and it takes a while. My particular childhood event, the one that I believe was defining a lot of my actions for decades, but only really started being unpacked in my early 30s, was child abuse as a child. It was, and when I say child, I'm, you know, my earliest memory is seven years old. I have a view things were happening before then I haven't still been able to pieces that together but the memory I formed of where I was and this was a family member who abused his power that and and it's never easy to say that because you know even though I try not to wrong or write too many things it just sounds wrong and I think it's you know today funny enough in Australia it's international women's day we we fight for equality, we fight for equity. That that was for me probably one of the biggest violations and abuse of power where someone who doesn't have a voice literally gets that taken away even further. And so there are so many layers attached to that particular event. That's a big part of, of the story I'm currently trying to change.
3: Mm, yeah. I And your documentary which I, before we hopped on the mic, I was telling you I watched and was so moved by, uh, Did I Choose My Trauma? is an incredible omission to your your journey as an individual. And, you know, it talks a lot about trauma. And I think that's a word we're going to use today a lot because I noticed that's something that you discuss a lot. So in your documentary, you break down the two different types of trauma. The first one being Shock trauma, which is, I think, the one we're most familiar with. If you're in a car accident, you you know are, are traumatized by it, but it's, all, it's a one-time occurrence. And there's another type of trauma, complex trauma, or as you guys refer to it as well, complex PTSD. And this comes from what you were speaking of, childhood neglect, childhood abuse. And this one, in this scenario, you don't have a chance to recover because you're living in this situation where the trauma is happening. And... When I heard that, I thought, oh, wow, there's such a, a, that's such an interesting perspective because you are living in this trauma that you somehow can't escape. So uh, you say in your documentary, after acknowledgement comes healing. Can you talk to us about the process of coming to acknowledge such a huge trauma? Because
2: what was that experience like? And you do, do you feel like you're still in it? Definitely still healing. I mean, I, I I mean, I, I love your following and I never quite know how vast the audience is. So I never know what to share, but hopefully I can. I- I'm actually off for the first time today with this <laughs> breaking news to go speak to a sex therapist, not because, actually, no, maybe that's not right. I was going to say not because, you know, I feel like I'm still having challenges with my sexuality. That, that would be a lie because I, I am, even though I'm, even though I'm probably experiencing my own sexuality for the first time, actually knowing that there can be pleasure in sexual energy. I actually feel there's so much more to explore, so much more. And I have a wonderful partner who I've been able to explore that with in a safe environment. I mean, it, our our sexual relationship has blown my mind of you know things I didn't think were possible that my body could give me. But I'm wanting to go and see this sexual therapist because I believe there's more for me to unlock so when you ask have I healed absolutely not I'm still on the journey still the discovery but I'm actually having fun with it that's that's a big change that I know we'll talk about I'm having fun with uncovering it but going back to the beginning the acknowledgement I mean the work is deep I've just finished them filming my third documentary and a woman who is uh, I think she's she's 60 her trauma was different but she literally only started looking at what happened to her in her 50s and she had something, you know, really big. It was the loss of a really close relationship, her mother at the age of seven. It takes a while. Sometimes it's so suppressed. You don't even know it's there. Like you literally, I gave a keynote last week and I could see the room as their, their brains were trying to figure out, oh my God, do I have repressed memories? Are you saying something like some people a lot do not even know. So to even acknowledge it is a big deal. But for me, there were too many signs that kept on repeating themselves. There were too many. It's the patterns. The patterns were coming up a few too many times. And then it was like, okay, I know you know something happened. You've tried not to overthink it, but you need to check it out.
3: Can you explore that further with us when you say all these patterns start coming up? Because I we do have an audience of some young women, some in their 30s, some in their 40s, some in their 20s. And I do think that that is... The time in your life when you discovered, oh wait, I've been suppressing this sexual abuse that happened when I was or started when I was seven, or maybe, as you said, even before. So, what are those signs or those? I don't know if the word trigger is correct. You, you please tell me um, what what was happening that made you realize, oh wait, I've suppressed something significant for so many years.
2: Yeah, I mean, and everybody. Everybody needs to be their own guide, champion, whatever the word is. But for me, my triggers were in relationships. Even though I I appeared and felt strong, there was this, in my mind, ridiculous need to please in relationships. There was this. Please your partners? Please my partners, yeah. And and, and definitely. And uh, sexually or in all different ways? Sexually and a few other different ways, but you know, even if I wasn't prepared to, you know, have sex with them, I would, I would do it for them to stay. Now, once again, because we've got the other form of trauma that has a lot of women suppress their sexual energy, full stop, even without abuse. I didn't quite know whether that was normal, and I, and it was still so taboo to even talk about sex in my environment, um, in my family that I didn't quite know if it was right. But when it got to the point that I had, you know, I had two kids, two different dads, I've gotten through my own shame story attached with that because, you know, I was under depression, that that's not how life is meant to be, blah, blah, blah. But when it got to the point that I was just hurting because I couldn't be myself in these relationships that still were not working, that was when the patterns came up for me. It was like, okay. Just just speak to someone. We're not suggesting you need to be with one person for the rest of your life, but just speak with someone because you're not even happy. You're not not convinced you're being yourself in these relationships anyway. It's similar to when someone ends up constantly with a domestic violent partner. Once again, there's no blame on this, but if it's happened time and time again, what is it in us that we need to look at? And that's what I needed to do for myself.
3: Now you've brought up your lovely book and podcast that you have called did you get the memo because i fucking didn't and it's (laughs) such a great title the idea is that you know you're you were able to finally free yourself from not having to live within this perfect little box that the society sets for us that we have to have everything perfect and how freeing and marvelous that thought is. (laughs) And can you please explore that for us even further? Because this is something that everyone can benefit from, no matter where they are in their lives or what they're going through.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Did you get the memo? Because I fucking didn't. I love that you said the word. (laughs) That book really came about, firstly, because I had this ridiculous, I say ridiculous, it's not ridiculous. I had this fear that I would die young and that my kids would have other people telling me, telling them my story. It was like one of my worst fears. I thought there is no way I'm going to have done a lot of this solo parenting and somebody else told the story. So that's how that book started out. But then it kind of went to a memoir kind of to myself, which is why is nobody else talking about the fact that we all appear to be trying to follow the same blueprint that does not take into account our different circumstances, our different environment. And we just keep on pushing and chugging along where, you know, we're born into a well-formed family. We live in that white picket fenced house, 2.4 kids, dog, go to school, fall in love, get married, kids, work till you're 65, try to climb the ladder and repeat. And once again, I'm not trying to knock it or wrong it. I'm sure that worked for generations, but all we've got to do is look around at where we are. That does not work anymore. And it turns out a lot of people were forcing themselves into that. You just think of people who were married for 40 years and it turns out that they were actually gay. They didn't want to be married to a female partner or you know, transgender people who have had to hide who they really are. I mean, I, and I'm touching on areas that I'm still learning about. Uh, why, why, have we, why are we all silenced? I don't understand how the majority, the majority, I must repeat again, are not happy with the current paradigm. So I'm, I'm calling bullshit on, on this memo that it turns out I didn't even get because I'm, I was failing.
3: I'm so happy to hear you say that. That's why Candace and I started this podcast to begin with is because we felt the need to discuss things that and and kind of just claim to the world that we don't know what what's happening. We're directionally challenged. We have no idea what we're doing and we're all doing our best and that's enough. It's okay. That's enough. You don't have to have everything in perfect order. And in fact, a lot of the people that do aren't necessarily happy. Now, let me be clear. Let us be clear. Yummy yeah, and I, if you, this works for you, and you are genuinely happy living this lifestyle. Go for it. That's incredible. We are so happy for you. And and keep going. Keep on keeping on because that is something that's marvelous. But the, the truth is a lot of people aren't happy that way. And some people decide to go on a path of not even ever getting married and not having children good for you if that makes you happy. I think the process that we're going through is trying to allow ourselves the freedom to acknowledge and realize that there are so many ways to live one life. And wherever you end up, that is okay. Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. (laughs)
1: It. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
3: It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good we're back. You know, I know that throughout your healing process, you have talked to so many individuals who have been through so many different things. Do you feel like having these conversations have helped heal you? And is that what ultimately inspired
2: you to write the book and have the podcast? It's it's a great question. I believe it has. I, I, I do believe that speaking has definitely been part of the healing. But I say that kind of echoing what you just said about how people live their life that doesn't have to work for everybody you know just retelling my story when I came in was very different every time it's very different I find either another not another wound I just find another part to grow so it's it's a it's an evolution process that I don't know where it ends so it definitely has gotten easier the vocabulary has changed the words have different meanings from what I say. But as for the book, you're absolutely right. I did. I, I wanted to get my voice out. I mean, the book really was the instigation for me to even think about doing a documentary because the chapter, there was a chapter on their on childhood trauma and everybody that read it, that was the chapter they connected with. And then once again, I was like, what, why are we so quiet about this memo? And possibly we aren't. There are people talking you know, yourself and Candice are doing that. You are, you are talking, there are podcasts that are being done. And then I think it got to a point, I was thinking, okay, are there more people who are talking? And there weren't. And that was when I thought, okay, I, maybe it's you. Yeah, I mean, you, you start the conversation and yeah. And that was the trigger for the book and ultimately the documentary and whatever else I planned.
3: Right. And you also had this epiphany. I want to take you back. I think it may have been a decade ago now where your daughter's, three and a half. And you talk about how you're standing in line for government housing and you have this epiphany of sorts. And we know today your, your life experience is so drastically different from that moment when you found yourself homeless with your daughter. And I can't imagine that feeling as a mom myself and trying to figure it out. And so will you take us back to that moment and that epiphany and Then now tell us about the
2: badass female boss that you are. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's actually, I was was pregnant with my daughter when I was homeless, but we were still on government support when even when she was older, up until about five. But it was, it was surreal. It was surreal. I remember literally sleeping outside the front door. And that was partly because I wanted to make sure that I get housed. Because I had been put in what they call a halfway house. I don't know whether that's the same name in the States where people who are really struggling, whether they're on drugs or, you know, you know, meant to be in hiding. And so I was was put in this shared house, which was frightening, really frightening for me because people were coming in and out, bringing friends. I did have a lock on my door, but I couldn't go to the bathroom or the kitchen because I just didn't want to be seen. So that was scary. So for me going out there and asking to be housed on my own was really important, but it was, it was surreal. It was, when and how did I get here? When and how did I get to the point where I need to rely heavily on government? And once again, there's no shame in that, but this is, it, it just, it questioned, it challenged my whole identity. Here I was, you know, born of Nigerian parents who pride is one of their biggest values you get your degree, you, you know, you wear the nice clothes, you show up. And it felt like I was just telling, telling a story and and something clicked, even though I couldn't do anything major, but something clicked and said, okay, just keep on taking one step at a time to see what it looks like to get out of this and stand on your own two feet. And that was when I started to focus on the job and making enough money so that I could you know, provide for my daughter alone and not have to rely on anything else. Because once again, I think there's been some lies in, in the fact that women, sometimes my generation anyway, were told that, you know, marry that rich husband, marry your rich self. Um, that's what right. I decided to do. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> that's why I decided to kind of just, I just, you know, move in. I don't know, seven years since then, I just kind of went a little bit, I, not over the top, but I just, I started to just open business after business and see how much money I could make. And, you know, I'm now going through a different phase of like, yeah, money's great, but what about purpose and how can I make money in my purpose? Yeah. And it got to the point, my maximum, where I've, I've had four companies that I've managed. And so, yeah, it, man, it doesn't sound long, but yeah, within seven years, I was able to get that started. Sounds am fascinating.
3: So, and this epiphany that you had was, do not let any life event or circumstance define you. Not gonna do that. And so you had that up epith- if you were like, okay, never mind, I'm not gonna do that anymore. And within did you say it was it's been sev-
2: seven years? Yeah, it would be seven years from that part of being homeless to then saying, okay, time for a different life because that was when I moved to Australia. So I believe I physically and everyone's different. I physically needed to change my environment in order to change the environment in my mind. that that for me is typically a big trigger.
3: It's interesting. Um, So many people on our podcast, so many guests we've had that are so wildly successful believe, believe a lot in the power of the mind and the mindset. And that is, I think, what you're also discussing is how powerful your mind is and how powerful your thoughts are. But that's so much easier said than done so many of us, especially, you know, let's take into account the past few years we've had and all the struggle that everyone's felt, no matter where you are in life, to keep your, your brain on track and your mind in a positive mindset. What advice do you have for, for us who are struggling to do that right now?
2: Yeah, well, first let's go back to why the reason why we struggle is because we can't see the mind and, you know, we weren't, we weren't taught that. So let's be kind to ourselves that, that that's partly why it's, you know, I feel like I've been doing this chug and dance for about eight years, which if I compare to how long I've been alive, it's, I've, I've still got another 16 years to go to even balance what I've been taught. So just recognize that's part of the reason. I think the other thing is, that's why I say a lot of us tend to look at other people to be our guide. And, and it's nice to have a mentor a coach. It really is to have that aspiration, but not so much you forget that you are your own. Like I truly believe if we stopped for a second, if we just paused and trust me, I'm one of those people that don't know how to pause. I was not there when they were handing out patience, but just pause and figure out what feels right in you. If you are doing something or you are missing an opportunity or something in you will tell you, look into this a bit more. Whether it's your mind, your heart, your stomach, because as I say in in my TED talk, the body keeps the score. The body is a really good navigation tool for what feels off, but you just need to pause long enough to feel it. And then when you do, you can start to then involve the mind and start having a conversation with why am I doing that? Just get really comfortable with asking the why questions. Why am I doing that? Why is there fear? When I get on stage, why is my stomach churning? Why am I needing to run to the bathroom so many times? And I stop for a second. And part of it is, yes, I think I'm going to be judged. Oh, it's actually because I really want to please the crowd and the audience. I've just gotten really good with asking myself questions, but my body tells me first. And so that's that's usually a good start.
3: Wow. That's fascinating. Thank you. That's Even as you were saying that, I find myself taking a deep breath, (laughs) trying to relax my body, listen to my body. Thank you for that. It's such a good reminder because it doesn't matter how many times we hear it. It's so easy to go back to busy mode, ignoring everything else, trying to get everything done and not stopping and pausing. You know, you've spoken so much about how you have these different conversations with survivors that are healing, that I'm sure are learning to stop and pause with their own body. Do you feel like your healing process was different from others or is there some sort of thread through most individual stories? And I ask this because we have a lot of listeners that I think will hear this and come to terms with acknowledging possibly that they need to do this as well. And they need to start a healing process and acknowledge that, Hey, maybe there's something in my life I haven't acknowledged yet. So is there a common thread you found through listening to other stories and through your own journey?
2: The most common thread, noting that I believe everybody's got a different healing journey. So, something I never said I was going to do, I've gone back to study. I'm doing a PhD because I'm so dedicated to the work in trauma, and my primary question is, can trauma be transformative? So, I'm going to be doing the work to to check it in, and also looking at traditional cultures and seeing what role they play in resolving trauma. But as I'm on this journey, I found out that everybody heals differently. But the one thread that has been consistent is that there is a light in their eyes and their voice when they find out they've been heard, when they just have the platform, the space. You know, people never get it when they say, oh, thanks for holding space for me. Literally, space is the air in front. When someone just knows that they can speak out what happened into the space, And if there is another body, another being, another present who doesn't run away to kind of hold that container, not solve it, just hold that container, there is a light that happens in them. And that's what I've found consistent. And that's why the acknowledgement piece is really important Um, because I haven't seen anything different. I haven't seen anyone like get really scared or rattled for sharing. Um, And maybe that is part of the healing journey to just speak it.
3: Right. I'm sure I can imagine just speaking it. And even as you commented in the beginning, every time you share your story, it kind of opens something different in you. And that So thank you for sharing. We really are so grateful. If you could give teenage Yemi, still growing and learning and possibly covering that part of your life experience, what would you say to her if you could give her advice? um, And in turn, what advice do you have to offer our listeners who have so much growing left to do, myself
2: included. Oh, needed to make a note of this so I don't forget. What would I tell my teenage self? It's not as bad as you think it is. I mean, I don't know if she's going to listen anyway, but because I've got a teenager now, and even though sometimes I see her, there were times she was going through a really difficult period, and I was trying to convince her that I promise you it feels like this and feel the feels, but it's not that bad. And I think what I would have then gone on to say is, just just try something different, like stand out. It's really not that bad. I think that would have just that would have changed. Not that I have any regrets, but when I think of what I've achieved before getting to forty and being a single parent, predominantly most of all of my kids' life, there's so many more things I could have done. And if I'd done it from teenage years when we're a bit more risk taking, I, oh, I think I'd be changing the world mega scale already. For the, the listeners, I mean what you you are who is it? Tarana Burke and Renee Brown wrote a book. I don't, I don't get any credits with this, but it's it was just the name is powerful. You are your best thing. We really do look outward a lot for stuff and, and that would be some of it. You you literally are your best thing. There's no other way to say that the makeup of you, your DNA your actions, your experiences ex- are making you to be the person you are waiting for. The question is, what are you going to do? Um, finding out that I am my best thing has been the most freeing. And you used, you used the word f- um, freedom when you spoke about setting this up with candidates it gives freedom like no other. You are your best thing. You just got to start figuring out what's working, what's not, throw away what no no longer works or put it to the side.
3: I'm not even a teenager and I'm going to benefit from that. (laughs) So thank you. That's incredible. (laughs) We do stay teenagers. As a mom, I just have to ask, do you feel that parenting your kids and having them in your life Are they the light through all of this? All the times that you've had to that you go back or you're you say you're getting your PhD in this, and I can imagine that is a lot of work both physically but also I mean mentally and emotionally having been through what you have and so do you turn to your kids or what do you turn to is there a great tv show you love or a book you love or what is it that you turn to Uh, I don't want to say use the word escape but just to relax wind down
2: as much as I love my kids and I don't need to say it it is not the kids that I turn to (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> i totally can get we that just,
2: can we, <laughs> especially right? in the teenage years <laughs> definitely I not i mean um there are sources they're definitely sources of joy and when we go away and we create laughter but my my biggest one is i just go to tranquil space and my partner and i've just bought a piece of land and this is very unlike me i never thought you know as we call it green thumb i find myself connecting to trees. And I think this is what I would have also told my teenage self is don't underestimate the power of the silence of just being between the trees. But I would have needed to have said it in a really, I don't know, funny, calm way, because my daughter's now enjoying it. So I do think teenagers are beginning to pick up the gift that is nature. I do that. But every now and again, I just, I put on Gogglebox, there's this show where it's weird. I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud. We watch people watching TV and seeing their responses to it. Oh, right. And I just laugh my head up. It's the best medicine. If I had a cold or a flu, all I'd need to do is watch that show and I'd be better. And it's because of the amount of laughter. But that's a really big one for me.
3: Oh, wow. I'm going to have to watch that. I've definitely heard of that show, but I've never actually seen it. So that does it sounds like good medicine. It's so cheesy. Laughter is the best medicine, but it really is being able to just let loose and laugh and all of that. It is. Hey guys, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. and we're back. So what I found interesting throughout our conversation just now is how you've acknowledged finding this beautiful life partner has really helped you. And I think that's so important in life. You know, maybe you had said a lot of people look towards mentors to help them in their, in their life journey, but for you, it's really been finding a partner um, to be able to push you, I would say in certain directions that maybe we wouldn't necessarily push ourselves. Would you say that's Correct. Absolutely.
2: I think relationships are our biggest teachers. They're, they're the hardest relationships with my kids, with my kids, you know, dads, with my partner, with my mum. I, I don't think we do it because we want to be pushed. but I just think it's it, it's the whole precipice of, of life. And I don't know whether it's because they are a mirror of us or whichever way we want to look at it. I love love. And I always knew I wanted to be in a relationship. I enjoy life so much more when I share it with someone. Completely fine doing it on my own. And I think I needed that for a bit. But it's um with my with my partner, it's been yeah some of the biggest growth that I have ever experienced, and and at the fastest rate. But I think that's because I became my true authentic self. I was no longer going to be following the memo. I was just going to be open. I was going to be kind. I was going to be compassionate. I was even going to compromise every now and again. But I was no longer breaking boundaries.
3: How did you know that? you fully became your authentic self. Did you have a moment where you, do you feel it in your body? What is that? What does that feel like where you know, okay,
2: this is me. This is me. You know what it is? It's the absence of discomfort. I don't even know where that came from because it's a great question. It's just the absence of discomfort. It's the absence, because I don't feel joy all the time. And uh, so I didn't want to say that it's like, oh, I feel joy because I don't. It's just the absence. Yeah. Of, of discomfort which was a big part it it, it, for me it felt like when I was inauthentic and not to I don't want to make that bad I think we behave that way sometimes because it's the only way to survive but it felt like I was putting on these really tight shoes like at least a size like two sizes smaller that's how uncomfortable it was now it just feels like free so it's the absence of something that lets me know I'm being my authentic self and then there's the joy. There's the speaking to you and saying things that I don't need to pre-plan because I'm comfortable with what I'm going to say. Oh, great question. See, another learning moment. Love it. No, exactly. That's why we love having this podcast
3: so much too, is because we are able to have these conversations and grow ourselves and learn from other people's incredible experiences. Yummy. I'm so honored to have spoken to you and had this conversation. Thank you for everything. I have one last thing. Is there anything specific that you are going to talk to your sex therapist about (laughs) that you're excited that you can share?
2: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I love you. You're so cheeky, but I love it. (laughs) Um, You know what? The term erotica keeps on coming up. I think I went to a sex myself and my partner went to Hawaii, went to an event. It was about relationships and we did dancing for women on, on around pole dancing, but it wasn't to please the other. It was to connect back to body and self. And I wanted to let loose, but I couldn't, I just couldn't. So I want to go and speak to and say, what, what, would it look like what's the journey and then once i've reconnected to myself whether it's erotica or find out whatever my blueprint is, yeah i'm gonna be booking some pole dancing rooms for my partner
3: (laughs) we're gonna have you back on it a year from now and you're it's gonna be to teach us about how pole dancing is is the new therapy (laughs) i love it but what what a phenomenal woman you are to see and go through that and understand that hey this is an area that i need to kind of go you know not a tweak just figure it out or just ask the question and that seems to be something that has really shaped who you are you just need to start talking and ask the question and that seems like the biggest step so thank you so much for coming today you guys yemi Penn has her documentary did i choose my trauma it's phenomenal uh, i highly recommend the three part documentary her book did you get the memo because i fucking didn't which i'm so excited to read uh, just on the sheer t- title alone i thought oh I need to have a conversation with her. Also your podcast that um, I believe comes out, is it weekly or or two times a week? Um, It's
2: monthly. No, monthly at the moment.
3: Yeah monthly. Thank you. Her podcast monthly. Did you get the memo? And I'm sure it's monthly because you run four other companies, one in a London time zone. I mean, just all over, you are just killing it. So what a wonderful success story. Thank you for sharing everything with us. And we wish you the best, especially today with your (laughs) sex therapist. (laughs) Thank you. We are so grateful to have had you here today. And I do want to list some resources for our listeners. If you have found yourself relating to anything Yemi's talked about and you don't know where to turn, obviously she has a book and a podcast, but we want to make sure you understand that there is a National Domestic Violence Hotline that is available for you 24-7. I'm going to list the number here. It's 1-800-799-7233. 1-800-799-7233. There is also a 24-hour Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline. I'm going to list the website. It's www.childhelp.org forward slash childhelp dash hotline. The number, if you want to call, is 1-800-422-4453. We will also have these linked in our show notes. So if that's easier for you, please click that. And for all of you who have joined us in this episode, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate our listeners and we love you. And so no matter where you are on your journey of healing and development or your directionally challenged life, we are right there with you. You are not alone. We have another great episode coming for you next week. And before we end, we love you guys so much. We want to read some of your reviews because we truly do pay attention, and read every single one of them. And we love to make sure that you know that. So first, I want to say hi to Kat's clarinet. You, are, you left an amazing review called Fun and Educational. It says, as a fellow 30-something mom of small children, I really enjoy the topics this podcast covers, from parenting to current issues, mental health, and everything in between. I find the hosts really relatable and love how they interview their guests. Well, thank you so much because relating to you guys and knowing that we're all going through this together is the reason Candace and I started this podcast to begin with. So that means a lot. Thank you. And we have another great one from Mango is LA, or it might be a Mango Isla. Sorry if I'm butchering it, but your review says I'm not Huge into podcasts. Well, I was not until quarantine and found this gem. I love that I now feel I'm not alone as a 30 odd something who does not have it all figured out. Amazing job, ladies. You are both fantastic. Well, thank you. Because the truth is none of us have it all figured out. And isn't it freeing to not have to say that we do? And lastly, Danny Ham says, I love this podcast. I've loved these girls since the Vampire Diaries days. They talk about a lot of relatable topics and also educate me on things I didn't know enough about or haven't heard of. I look forward to hearing from Candace and Kayla every week. Well, thank you, Danny, for listening. We look forward to having you guys as part of our Directionally Challenged fam. And we love every single one of you. We truly are grateful for... The family that we've created and will continue to create. We have another great episode for you guys coming next week. So until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Produced by Melissa D. Mons. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with Acast.